So I started going to church when I was about six years old, and it, and it started because I got invited to a vacation Bible school, and, and I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about church or God or the Bible or, or anything, but my friend Zach on my baseball team was like, hey, we got this vacation Bible school thing going on, and I was like, what's that? He goes, I don't know, but my mom's making me go. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so when I told my mom about it, my mom got really, really excited. Like, you know when your mom gets, like, too excited? And it makes you like, why are you so excited about me going to that? And then she's like, well, she kind of senses your weirdness about it. And she's like, well, well, we'll, we'll see if we can. We'll check our schedule. We'll see what we can do. All I knew about church is that my mom was really, really stoked that I was going to go. But I didn't know anything about it. So there I was at this vacation Bible school with my friend Zach sitting there not knowing what's going on. And, I, and honestly, I don't even remember like what we went over or what the theme was. It could have been sports themed or gladiator or superhero. I don't know. It was a long, long time ago. And so all I do remember about it is that was the first time I'd ever gone to church. That was the first time I'd ever heard about God. And that was when I got saved. That was the first time I had ever met Jesus. And from that point on, my mom started taking us to church. And, you know, every Sunday after that, and it set me on this path that I had no idea that I was going to be on. I had no idea where God was going to take me today. Because like most of you, I grew up in church. You know, that was my start, and I grew up in church. But there was this problem. You know, I, I was there every Sunday. I went to youth group like you guys are doing. You know, I served in the children's ministry. I was there all the time. I was one of the core kids. But I was also living a double life. I was also one of those, those kids, you know, like everybody knows one, like you're like at church every week, but when at school, you're like cussing and, you know, you're doing things you should not do. And, and so I was that kid. And so right around high school, I like, emo music was very popular when I went to high school. It might date me a little bit, but I had black hair and I wore girl jeans because they didn't make skinny jeans for guys yet. And so you wore girl jeans so you could have skinny jeans. And so that was me. I was really into, you know, Panic at the Disco, all that. And so I had like a really like sad boy, like, like thing going, you know what I mean? I mean, we don't exist in the wild anymore, so it's kind of hard to know what I'm talking about. But like, about this time, like late middle school, early high school, I got put on this, um, this steroid for asthma and allergies. And you're like, what are you talking about, Sean? I'm going somewhere. It's, it's, I have a point. And so I, I get put on this stuff, and one of the side effects is that it causes depression, and it can cause a hormone imbalance in your brain, and that happened to me. And so right about then, my hormones got all jacked. I actually had to start shaving in seventh grade, believe it or not, because of this, um, which explains this. <laughs> but anyway, so like I'm on this medication, and right at that time, my parents split up. My parents decided that like they needed some time apart, so my dad moved out, and like we had that typical normal family, you know, like we always went on vacations, like my dad played golf every weekend, we were in Boy Scouts, we played sports, my brother and I, and we like nothing seemed wrong. Nothing seemed wrong on the surface, but but that wasn't the truth. And so everything around me was crumbling in. And so mixed mix that with this medicine that's messing with my brain, I like spiraled out of control. And all of a sudden, I'm very depressed, I'm very sad, and I'm stuck in this emotional turmoil fueled by threat of divorce, my chemical romance, and asthma medication. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do or who to talk to because, you know, I was going to church, but like I said, I was living a double life and all this bad, like awkward stuff was happening to me and I was really struggling and, and wrestling with doubt and questioning and like, how could God let me live in a house like that where everybody pretends to be okay, but nothing's okay? How could God 
let me be in a place in school where everybody made fun of me because of the, what I was into, but I also was really depressed and really sad. How could, how could a loving God do that to me? And, and, and I distinctly remember the day that I walked away from church. I was about 15 years old, and I was there on a Sunday morning, and I was already like not into it. You know, I was not believing, really, really struggling. And the news broke on that Sunday morning that our senior pastor was having an affair and would be stepping down from his pulpit, would, would not be leading the church anymore. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, how could somebody who appeared so godly to me, how could somebody who appeared to have it all together to me just have such a dark secret like that? And to make mad, but that's not what like pushed me out of the church. What pushed me out of the church was that my youth pastor moved away. And what made it worse, and it was the same week, and what made it worse is that he didn't even tell me. I got it through a MySpace message from a friend saying that he announced during youth group that he was moving away. So I never even heard it from him. And this is not just like, you know, I knew him in passing or whatever. Like I was at his house all the time. Like he prayed with me through my parents' rough spot. This was my guy. He taught me so many life lessons and he was just gone, just gone. So was I. If the church was gonna treat me like that, I didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, I was gonna walk in the opposite direction of the church. And that's what I did. It pushed me away. I was crushed and, and I was so betrayed. How could somebody just leave me like that? So I started to harden and get angry. I started to build up walls and I started to go from sad emo music to angry death metal. And like really like, I just was so angry. I was so angry at everyone. And so I, I decided everybody was against me. It was me versus the world. So before anybody got me, I was gonna get them. And so I started to get angry. And, and with all this anger, there was pain and there was insecurity and there was pride and there was depression. And I was still all messed up from my meds and my parents were still not doing great. And so I'm just, I'm, I can't take it anymore. And so I have to numb. I have to get away from what's bothering me. And so I start to drink. I was about 16 years old when I started to drink. I started to smoke weed. And I was so angry. And I had so much pain and so much just rage and aggression in me. I had to get rid of it. And so I went further and further into anger and depression, insecurity and anger and pride and the longing for approval from someone. So I started bullying people. You know, I figured if they're gonna reject me, I'm gonna reject them first. If they're gonna come at me, I'm gonna come at them first. I'm gonna build this persona that I'm this big, tough, strong guy who listens to heavy metal and I'm not to be trifled with. I'm not to be messed with. I left high school with a really bad attitude and a really bad drinking problem. I graduated with a drinking problem. That's, that's not okay. You know, and I know like you go to college and everybody's like, oh, party time. No, like this was, this was beyond that. This was not like your, your typical lost person. This was, this was a problem. And so I, I got out of Junction as fast as I could. You know, I graduated high school. And I was like, I have to get out of here. So I moved to Fort Lewis College, which is in Durango. And so I went to school for music. It was the one thing I had. It was the one thing I felt like I was good at. It was the one thing that I was confident in. It was the one thing that I knew I could control. And so I get to classes, it's the first day of class, and I have to take this music theory placement test to see just how much I knew. And I scored so low on the test that I had to take remedial theory classes, which basically means here's the bottom, this is what we expect of you to come in, you're down here, crushed. And not to mention, I thought I was already a pretty good musician. Like I thought I'd walk in and I kind of own the place a little bit because that's how it was for me in high school. You know, I was really arrogant. And so I didn't, you know, I never checked myself. I never had any humility. I just thought I was the best there was. And so I walked into this college, which newsflash, people who play music in college are really good at it. 
I walk in and I try out for every band that I could and I got into none of them except for one, which is the one that they let everybody in. A dog with a kazoo could have gotten into this, this band. So the one thing I had, the one thing I thought I was good at, crumbled before me again. I was devastated. So like we knew already, I already had a drinking problem, so I had more pain, so what did I do? I started drinking more. I started drinking more. I quit going to classes that weren't music related, and the classes I did go to, I went drunk. It got so bad that I would wake up and I would start drinking. I would drink all day long. And then I'd get home from classes or work, and I'd start drinking again. And I'd drink until I passed out. Then I'd wake up the next day, and I'd do it again, and again, and again. I couldn't stand to be me anymore. So I did everything I could to escape myself. I flunked out of school, and I had to come home, because that kind of lifestyle is not sustainable. Another failure and I have to come home. And I didn't leave on good terms either. When I, when I left Grand Junction, I was like burning down the city as I walked out. So I had to come home to embarrassment and failure all over again. And I, and I, I just, it wasn't great. I found myself in a dead-end job. I was washing cars for a living, trying to pay rent, all the while just drinking myself more and more and more into a hole. And it got to the point where I recognized I can't do this anymore. I was running around with a really rough crowd and I basically had to decide I was either gonna walk away from them or I was gonna be in a gang. So I walked away. I decided I was gonna go give music school another shot. I was gonna go back to Durango and I was gonna turn it around this time. So I go back, I'm on academic probation and I, and I actually try this time. I try, I give it my best effort and I, and, I, and I get better grades and I start practicing my instrument but all the while I'm still angry and I'm still churning and I'm still in pain and I got to the point where I just, I was more drunk than I wasn't. And, and, and worse, I, I got to the point where I was beyond angry. I just felt nothing. I felt nothing. The only thing I felt was withdrawals for alcohol, withdrawals for affection. I had nothing and no one. I ended up failing out again. I had to move back home again. I felt so worthless. How could I, have, how could I let this happen again? And so I'm driving home with all my stuff in my car, my tail between my legs, my dreams dead, and I'm driving and I'm drunk. I have an open beer in my hand. I'm driving over Red Mountain Pass, which is a notoriously dangerous mountain pass. And I'm just flirting with that white line right there on that cliff. It wouldn't matter. Nobody would care. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care if I died. I don't care. I had nothing and no one. And right at that moment where I'm really, I'm really considering that line, I'm considering just ending it because what did I have to live for? I heard this voice. Sean, if you don't stop, you're going to die. And not, to, not only did I just hear, I, I felt it. I felt it. I, I hadn't felt anything in here in a really, really long time. Sean, if you don't stop, you're going to die. See, God called out to me in that moment. And when God called out to me, I was instantly sober. Now I know what you're thinking, like how, what God called out to you, how does that even work? How do you instantly sober up like that? I can't explain it. 
I don't know the science behind it. I don't know what happened. All I know is I was going to careen off that cliff, either figuratively or literally. And God called me out and rescued me right there. I didn't know what to do. So when I got home, I, I did the first thing I thought to do and I poured out every bit of alcohol I had and, and, I, and I just did, I didn't know what to do. And, and my girlfriend at the time was like, hey, let's go to church tomorrow. And I was like, well, that seems like a pretty good idea considering what just happened. And so I go to church the next day, this church. And when I went, I couldn't stop crying. I was so ashamed of who I'd become. What happened to that six-year-old? What happened to that six-year-old boy at vacation Bible school who loved Jesus, who encountered him, who met his maker for the first time, was ready to give his life to Christ, was ready to work and do great things for the kingdom? What happened to him? What would I even say to him? I wept through worship. I wept through the message. I just wept. I just wept. And I ended up rededicating my life to Christ that day. And, And I think a lot about this story. I think about it a lot because... I think about how God had a plan for me from the beginning and how as fast and as hard as I tried to run away from him, he still was chasing me. But mostly I think about that day at vacation Bible school. And I think about how if Zach hadn't invited me to church that day, I probably would have never gone. I think about how if I hadn't met Jesus that day, I probably wouldn't be here. I think about how if I hadn't been invited to church that day, I'd probably be in jail or dead. I think about that all the time. To look back and see all of the garbage that I went through, that I put myself through, and how God turned it all around where, to where I am today, I never would have a million years imagined that I'd be standing right here before you as a pastor, preaching the word of God. I never, ever thought that. That was the exact opposite of what I wanted to do with my life. But because of the obedience of a six-year-old boy, I'm not. Because of the grace of God, I'm still here. And it all comes down to this. It's it's God has a plan for each and every single one of us, right? God has a plan for you. And God wants to use your story, what you've gone through, to help other people through that season. God wants you and me to help get people into the church so that they can know him, so that they can get through what life is putting them through. God commanded us to do this. And so the point of my story isn't to like scare you straight. It's not, it's not to be like, hey, don't drink, which don't. It's, n- it's not a sad sob story. What it is, is it's a story of you might not understand the weight of an invitation. Next week, we're going to be doing this bring your friend night. And it's called trick or treat. And we heard all about it. It's really silly. People dress up in costumes and they pie each other. There's elephants and bears and tigers. Oh my. And it seems just like a really fun event, but, but it, it isn't. It's so much more than that. And so What it is, is it's an opportunity for you to bring somebody to church so that they can meet Jesus, so they don't have to go down the path that I did, so that they don't have to endure that life alone, so that they don't have to suffer and and, and be filled with pain and anger without any hope. We don't put that event together just so we can fill the room or do something fun. We do it to get people saved. People who are hurting, people that you know, people in your life that are going through something really hard, people who look like they might have it all together on the outside but are really bleeding. Now, 
I'm not asking you to have all the answers, right? I'm not asking you to be this big scholarly theologian with a big white beard and has written like 20,000 books. I'm asking you to do two very simple things, which is share your story and invite someone to church. Use your story to tell his story. Revelation 12, 11 says, they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. That's the enemy is talking about. We overcome the powers of hell by the blood of Jesus and what Jesus has done in our life. Use your story to tell his story because your story carries weight. Do you know that? Your story carries weight. You didn't go through what you've gone through to keep it to yourself. You went through what you went through so that you can be there for the hurting and the broken to show someone else how to walk through the fire with their eyes fixed on Jesus. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes for them. When you share your story to show the glory of God to others, that's that verse coming to life. Sharing what God has done in your life with someone going through a similar pain or just triumph or trouble in general is where God turns pain into triumph. I call this using your story to tell his story. And there's this quote that I love a lot. It says, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Meaning you, you could know all the answers, right? You could know all the churchy answers. You could stuff Bible knowledge into somebody's face over and over and over again. And you might come, from it, come to it with a well-meaning attitude of like, I know scripture, I can help them. But unless they know how much you care and they know the pain you've been through and they know that you can empathize with their pain, they don't care about that stuff. That's why using your story is so effective. Everyone connects to a story, right? Everybody has a favorite movie or a favorite book. It's why that we can binge watch Stranger Things. It's why we can binge watch all these shows. It's why we connect to a book series and tear it up in a single night because everybody connects to a story because we're all living one, right? And the easiest story to tell is your own. And I would bet confidently that there's someone in your immediate circle going through something really tough right now that you may have already been through. Or even if you haven't been through the fact that you've gone through a hardship, God moving in your life, no matter the circumstances, always brings hope. It doesn't matter what the hardship is. If somebody sees that you went through something tough and you made it through the other side because of God, that's gonna spark hope every single time. And it's always because of your vulnerability. Our God is in the business of redemption. It's in his nature. Sure, it can be scary. It can be uncomfortable, right? Sharing your faith, talking about Jesus in school isn't easy, right? It's not easy to do this, but, but would you rather be nervous and share your story and someone get saved? Or would you give into your fears and miss out on sharing the gospel with somebody? And, and I don't wanna make this like feel really scary or make anybody feel badly about this, but I feel like you're old enough and mature enough to handle the weight of, of the seriousness of this. If we're playing for keeps here. Sharing the gospel is literally a matter of life and death. And the truth is God commanded us to do this. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This section in Matthew is called the Great Commission. 
So God is commissioning us to do this thing. And what I love about that last bit, and I am with you always, even to the end of the ages, that shows it's a co-mission. Jesus is working with us in this. It's not up to us. Saving people is not our job. It, what God asks for us to do is to share our story, is to invite somebody. It's a co-mission, and God wants to work with you in it. God will provide the opportunities and the favor. All we have to do is be obedient. And, and, and hear me, like, we've all blown it in this area, right? Everybody's had that opportunity. Everybody's froze up because it's, it's weird. But God wants to partner with us in this, right? And if God is with us, who can be against us? So use your story to tell his story. And then and the next point is just simply invite someone. It's so easy to invite somebody, especially when we do these events like trick or treat. You just be like, hey, um, do you want to go to my church and potentially win a bunch of gift cards like Chick-fil-A, Taco Bell, maybe some candy, maybe some coffee? Uh, all you have to do is come with me and then a pastor might throw some glare at you. It's like a super easy invite to get somebody here. That's why we do it. It's, it's so easy to get people into church. Did you know that 50% of America does not have a church? 50% of America does not have a church home. That means they don't have 4640. They don't have fellowship church. They don't have the support system and the people praying for them and the love that we have for everybody inside our church walls here. 50% of America Half of our country is just wandering around lost, waiting for that invitation. There's this research group called the Barna Group, and they did a survey saying that most people would come to church if somebody would just ask them. Can you imagine if every single one of us in this room just brought one person to church? What would happen? We'd have to get more couches, that's for sure. We'd probably have to sit in the bleachers. Can you imagine if, one per, or if every person in Fellowship Church as a whole invited one person to church with them every Sunday? We'd instantly double the church. We'd have to add more services. We'd have to build a new building. You can see how quickly the church can grow and how easily it is to grow the church and how the kingdom of God can grow so, so easily and so well and so quickly. So why do we have so much trouble with this? Why is it so hard to share our faith? Why do we freeze up? And, and everybody does. Everybody has those moments. I can think of times where I just froze up and blew an opportunity to invite somebody here. But the reason it's so hard is because evangelism or sharing your faith or inviting someone to church is literally the most devastating weapon to the kingdom of hell. The devil does not want you to get people in this building. The single greatest threat to the kingdom of hell is you sharing the gospel, is you sharing your story, is you bringing someone to church. That's why we experience rejection. That's why we experience all these things when we're speaking about Jesus and telling our story. Like, for instance, this one time, Pastor Will and I went to the mall to go share Jesus with people. And it was my first time ever doing this with strangers, and so I was really uncomfortable, really nervous, and we're walking around the food court and we're praying. I'm like, God, show me this person. Show me who you want me to pray for. Show me who you want me, want me to share you with. And I look up and there's this dude at one of those kiosks and he's selling those tens units, which they make your muscles do this. And we're like walking by and I felt God like nudge me towards him. And so we're walking by and he goes, hey, do you guys want to give these a shot? And I was like, yeah, I'll give that a shot if you listen to what I have to say afterwards. Which looking back is like really not a great way to start that conversation because <laughs> it's like instantly like, what? What? That was a really weird exchange. I just asked you if you wanted to try this tens unit. So he goes, okay, well, what is it that you have to say? And I was like, dude, I just, I just wanted to talk to you about Jesus and see if I can pray for you. And he goes, oh, you believe in God? 
It's like, yeah, you know, Jesus has done so much in my life. He's, he's brought me through some really hard times. He goes, do you believe in the tooth fairy too? And I was like, what? He goes, how about the Easter bunny? Santa Claus, do you believe in magic? How about fairies? And this dude just goes in on me. This dude just like starts berating me about how, how foolish and he, how could you believe in it? And I just was like, whoa, I just was trying to pray for somebody. This is literally my first time ever evangelizing in public and I get straight up shut down, rejected so hard. And it's because the enemy does not want the secret of the gospel getting out. But the, the good news is it's not a secret, one. And two, Persecution is a privilege. To be rejected in the name of Jesus is a privilege. James 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. John 15, 8, Jesus is talking, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. If you get rejected in the name of Jesus, you're just stacking up heavenly reward. You're just stacking it up. Every time you get rejected, God's like, here, I got you. And if you really think about it, evangelism, sharing your faith, telling people about Jesus, getting them to church, there's no downside. Because if you get rejected, you get heavenly reward. Or if you don't, somebody gets saved. There's no downside. There's no downside. So what are we so afraid of, right? There's no downside to this. It's the win-win, and the kingdom of God is where there can only truly be a win-win. But oftentimes our comfort level gets in the way, but, but my comfort level does not change the word of God, right? You know, it was our co-mission. God commanded us to do this. Our comfort level should have no influence over sharing the gospel. The cross wasn't comfortable, so our comfort shouldn't get in the way of the cross. If you think about what the cross was and what Jesus endured on the cross... There was nothing comfortable about it. It was brutal, brutal death. And Jesus asked us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And the truth is, there are gonna be moments in your faith where it's uncomfortable. There's gonna be moments in your faith where somebody rejects you and is really, honestly, really hateful towards you for what you believe. But the good, the grace, salvation, everything that God promises us when we follow him far outweighs the, uncomfort, the uncomfortableness. You don't have to repackage Jesus. You don't have to repackage the gospel. You don't have to worry about being uncomfortable. There's no downside, right? He is the treasure of the world. If you share who Jesus is authentically in your life, people will be drawn to it. He is enough on his own. He will show up in any space or situation. And the truth of all of this is, you know, I don't have the answers. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. There's all these tools and strategies about sharing your faith. The greatest tool for evangelism is you and what you've been through. You know your story. You know what's happened to you. You know how God has moved through it. So share that. Tell people about it. Tell, tell the world what Jesus has done for you unashamedly, boldly, because you are the greatest tool in evangelism. All you have to do is invite somebody here, right? We've talked about this trick-or-treat thing. It's such an easy invite, such an easy invite. And to sweeten the pot, for every person that you bring, you get five tickets and they get five tickets. So like Gern Blanston was saying, if you bring one friend, you get five tickets and they get five tickets. If you bring two friends, you get 10 tickets and friend one gets five tickets, friend two gets five tickets. If you bring three tickets, or three friends, anyway, you get the picture. <laughs> no, you don't, Jacob, you can do math. 
It's such an easy invite. It's such an easy invite. And so tonight as we close, as, as we get ready to pray, I want to challenge you this week to really start to seek God. Seek him on who it is that he wants you to bring. Ask him for those opportunities and be bold because if you ask for it, he'll bring it. All you have to do is share your story and invite somebody. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. Jesus, we, we thank you so much that we do get to know you. God, that you do redeem stories, that you do redeem pain, that you are in the midst of our struggle and our triumph. God, I pray that you would inspire every single one of us this week to approach you humbly before your throne. God, show us who it is you want us to bring to church. God, give us the boldness. Give us the courage. Give us the bravery to walk into our schools, into our soccer teams, into our football teams, and ask somebody to come to church with us. God, I pray that you would give them favor as they walk in. And Lord, I pray that you would just make a way where there is no way. God, we love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.